Happy Sunday, everyone, and thank you so much for tuning in to another episode from the Isle of Dr. Garneau. I'm Kelly J. Lewis, and with me, of course, is Dr. Chris Garneau. Dr. Garneau, I mean, just when you think, like, oh, this is the big news story of the week, it just gets bigger. I don't even know where to start. Yeah, okay, so there's a bunch of stories this week, but I think we need to talk about the three uh, three big ones. We'll see if we can even get up far we get past. Uh, but we need to start with uh, talking about the vice presidential debate. Now, um, I think last week we had done a rundown of the insane, bonkers, bizarro uh, presidential debate. The, probably the, I, I will say, the worst presidential debate that I've seen since I've been following politics the last 25 years. Uh, never seen anything like it. It was absolutely ridiculous. It was a, uh, a, an interrupt fest, and the president had uh, that market cornered. It was the moderator, Chris Wallace, trying to be professional uh, in a situation where it's almost impossible to be professional. Okay, so in contrast to that debate, the vice presidential debate, I'm not going to say it was a yawn fest, but it was more of a normal debate. I mean, clearly a much more like a, a debate that we would have seen in any normal political year without Trump. Pence is, you know, a standard kind of politician. Uh, Kamala Harris is a little bit more new to the national scene, but also has some great debate chops. So I think it was a, you know, before we get into what they said, here, here's what I'll say. Stylistically and content wise, I did feel like it was a much more substantial debate. We got more policy discussion, we got more vision discussion, and um, despite the evasive nature of both candidates, to find to be fair, uh, I do feel like it, it 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 gave us a better picture <laughs> of what a presidency would look like than the actual presidential debate. So that's how, that's how I felt about the the overall character of that debate. I think that um, Mike Pence. He lies so seamlessly and he really showed up as a misogynist and it was, it it was really crazy to watch him. Um, and, and I see all these memes. It's like that basically plays out in every boardroom and every job and, and everything is, mansplaining and and he mansplained people of color to her right like what (laughs) so there were (laughs) several yes there were several uh several instances where it and these were memeable moments where you could see Senator Harris, it, it, a lot of people are calling it, you know, the smirk around the world or, or singing around the world or something like that. But um, you could see as a, as a woman of color, and let, let's be very clear how historic this is. So um, she would be the first female vice president. She'd be the first African-American vice president and the first Asian-American vice president. That's a pretty big deal. Um, so she's got a lot of sights on her, but yeah, you can see a lot of um, cases or a lot of uh, examples where either she was being talked down to, uh, there was a lot of condescension, 
Um, or at least that's how it appeared. There wasn't nearly as much interrupting as we see with Donald Trump, but we certainly saw that. Uh, I, I feel like Mike Pence, maybe uh, he interrupted more than she did, I think, by the final count. Um, so it wasn't necessarily the, the interrupting, but more of what you said, Kelly, where you could see him um, kind of uh, not really listening to her and using that condescending kind of tone. And, you know, if one of the analyses that, that I've seen is maybe that she underperformed, I don't think she did. I think she had to do what she needed to do, which is she was very aware that she's a woman of color on national television, and she needed to, you know, basically be able to respond in a way where she didn't raise her voice, where she didn't seem angry, where she didn't, you know, but she did take a few moments to say, excuse me, I'm talking, those kinds of things, um, and try to assert herself. But I feel like as a woman of color, she really needed to walk a fine line in terms of how she could respond to that situation um, and, and not shake public perception uh, at, you know, in, in the intersection that she exists in. And not just for her, but for Joe Biden. And for the for the whole overall, I mean, there's absolutely no way that she could have gone in there and gone after his jugular. There's no way. I mean, they're already saying, you know, Trump was like, oh, she's just a nasty woman. And that was horrible. It's like, wait a minute. Wait a minute. She did not go after him. She went after him more with her eyes and her looks like I just can't even believe that he's sitting there saying this to my face kind of thing. But. She was the consummate professional. She, she handled, you're right. She handled it the way that she really needed to. She bolstered the campaign rather than having people walk away from that saying, oh man, she, you know, like, like she, like they talked about her after, uh, Brett Kavanaugh. Um, you know, mm -hmm. I, I think that she really did what she needed to do and, you know, we know that the star of the whole thing was the fly. <laughs> I wanted one of those fly swatters. I didn't get one. Yeah, no, I didn't either. I guess they sold out. <laughs> I went to look for them the next day and they were gone. Um, it was truth over flies is what it was called. So Mike Pence, of course, has, he's, he's, he's not nearly as old as, as Trump or Biden, but he's got silver hair. Uh, and uh, it, that's nothing against him. He's a nice looking guy. Uh, but anyways, he had a had a fly caught in his hair there for I, I it was fascinating. It was towards the end of the debate, I think the fly was there for maybe a good two uh, two minutes, minutes and fifteen seconds. <laughs> okay, there you go. We've got we've got the t the tally on it. And Mike Pence w wasn't really moving his head during that time, and myself included. A lot of Americans apparently went to go up to their TV screen to see if there was a fly on it. Uh, <laughs> Because it, it was so still, <laughs> it just like <laughs> at that at that point, a lot of people had checked out so much that they're like, "Wow, is that a fly?" Because Kelly, I got a bunch of texts of from people, "Is that a fly? Is that a fly?" And then I looked at my social media, my Facebook and 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 and, and uh, Twitter. Is this is that a fly? Is that a fly? Um, and so it, it produced probably some great memes. One of the best that I've seen is uh, uh, a meme with the, the captioning. Oh, great. Now the fly has to go into quarantine for two weeks because, of course, Mike Pence has been in close contact with people who have tested positive from COVID. Uh, not to get too far off the, the topic of the debate, because, of course, 
the White House is apparently ground zero for for a COVID outbreak now. So, but yeah, that was uh, that was quite entertaining. Um, so let's let's pull back to the debate. We can get back to the White House and, and Trump, and we're going to have to before uh, the end of this. Um, just a few points that I wanted to bring up. So um, Mike Pence evaded a lot of questions, and I'm going to be really fair. Kamala Harris did too, but she only she had one big job to do. Um, and that is to preserve Joe Biden's lead. And he currently has a, according to 538.com, a nine and a half point lead at the most modest. Now, that is the most modest projection that they have, nine and a half points, which is double the lead that Hillary Clinton had at this point, uh, a little bit more than. Um, it, some polls show him as head, uh, head by as much as 16 points. So this is do or die time for the, the Trump-Pence team. All Harris had to do was go up there, defend defend Joe Biden as a candidate, um, not you know make any major gaffes. Uh, again, reiterate the position that she has, and I thought she did it beautifully. She did everything she had to do. Mike Pence, on the other hand, his job was to turn the tables, to you know make uh, Kamala Harris seem radical and, and Joe Biden by association to show that they're. Uh, in cahoots with groups that conservative, you know, conservative groups don't like, and he had to do that. I, I don't, I don't think he he quite accomplished that. I'm not saying he's a bad debater. He's actually much skilled relative to Trump, much more skilled. Um, but you know, looking at the polls, um, women, uh, I, I just saw the gender breakdown. Women thought um, that Kamala Harris won hands down. It was 60 some to 30 some percent. I think it was like 62 to 37 percent. Men, it was 49 to 48 in favor of Harris. So men were more likely to think that Pence did well, but actually men actually uh, by a small margin supported Kamala Harris as well. So the, the, the polling data that I've seen after the debate showed that, that she did a, a very good job. Uh, and, and, and I agree. I don't think that it was, you know, one candidate completely obliterated the other one. Um, but if you watch news and you if you pay attention, you could see that Mike Pence was equivocating on several points, uh, not telling the truth on several points, which, you know, brought out the side eye from Senator Harris uh, and, and also just wouldn't answer questions. The biggest one for me was at the end asking, will a Trump Pence ticket honor the Electoral College and, you know, concede if they lose the election? Uh, a question that that he didn't answer. And that was the question that needed to be answered above all. I thought that him trying to grill Kamala Harris about expanding the court was inappropriate and rude. That's not his function. And especially since he kept going back like, "Um, well, let me take a few seconds to answer the question before. It's like, no, answer this one. That was the the pace of the debate seemed to be like that, uh, where it was, you, you know, Pence would be like, "Well, let me just get a minute. Let me let me just get a minute." And then it was it was hard to move the agenda forward. But yeah, he did kind of grill on that or hammer on that. Um, so it's not, and it, it it isn't the executive's decision, by the way, to decide if there are going to be more Supreme Court justices added. Of course, the president would have to sign off on something like that, but. That's Congress. That's you know, Congress decides those kinds of things. It has to happen at the legislative session. And for listeners that may not understand what's going on, um, there's a very good chance that Amy Coney Barrett could be um, confirmed to the Supreme Court, which would give it a six-three conservative slant. 
Uh, and one of the, the ideas that's been thrown out there is that, well, um, if Republicans aren't going to honor the, uh, you know, the rules that they had proposed only, you know, four years ago, then Democrats need to be more aggressive. And one of the things that they can do constitutionally, it's not illegal, uh, it's, it's not breaking any laws of the Constitution, is to add more Supreme Court justices. The number nine that we have is just the number that we've had for a while, and that's the number that we've kind of settled on. Um, but that there's nowhere in the Constitution that says it has to be nine. So that's the conversation that's coming up. Should Democrats, if they are to control both chambers uh, of the Senate, both the House, sorry, both uh, chambers of Congress, House and Senate, if they should move forward and add Supreme Court justices? I agree. I don't necessarily know that that is a question for Kamala Harris to answer. She's currently a senator, but that wasn't the role she was in in that debate. And so that was one of the questions that was trickier for her. Honestly, Kelly, she didn't have to answer that one. I don't think she needed to answer that question. And she didn't, she didn't answer that question specifically. And I, I didn't think it necessarily hurt her. I don't think Americans are really tuned into that right now. I think a more important issue is what's going to happen after this election when, if, if things hold true to what they are right now, if Joe Biden beats Donald Trump in a landslide, what is that Trump campaign going to do? Are they going to give a concession speech, which is the, the norm and the standard? Or are they going to start kicking and screaming, getting courts involved and getting the Supreme Court involved? And Mike Pence gave no effort whatsoever to answer that. And I think that really hurt him in the polls for who won the debate. I think that was very telling. And one of my favorite parts of that whole debate was when uh, Kamala Harris pointed out how they have packed the lower courts. That was that was like one of the highlights for me. I mean, the first time that she told him, um, excuse me, I'm speaking. I'm speaking. You know, I got up and shadow boxed a little bit. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and then when she oh, when she was... started talking about packing the lower courts, uh yeah, she got another standing shadow box from me because I was like, yes, those kinds of issues need to be brought out, especially since I mean, they are actively doing that and this thing with packing the Supreme Court or or um raising the number of justices is hypothetical. They're actually doing this. Right. And she also brought up that not one single African American has been appointed within those those you know court appointments, and that matters. You know, a lot. Of, I mean, this is not to diminish the importance of the Supreme Court because it's very important. But um, the lower courts affect us on a more um, sustained and uh, uh, important level in a lot of ways. And so, the Trump administration, one of the things that they've really done, and it hasn't been highly advertise is they've really increased the number of appointees. And I don't think it's Trump going through each and every one of these. I think he's got a team of people who are like, we like this judge, this judge, this judge. And that, you know, that is one third of the government. Uh, when we think about the separation of powers of the different branches, that has a tremendous impact on the lives of people. So uh, I also thought that was very important that she brought up the fact that, you know, this it's been, you know, primarily white men, you know, Amy uh, Coney Barrett aside, um, who have been appointed to these positions. The other thing, and, and, and I, I think that was highlighted was the, uh, the differences in economy uh, that that both candidates brought out, and you know, uh, really bringing to task something that the Trump administration has not been held accountable for, which is their tax cut 
that they approved along with uh, with the Senate and the House when it was Republican controlled, which has led to a two trillion dollar deficit. And Republicans like to uh, kind of tout themselves as the economically fiscally responsible party. I thought she did a great job of pointing out that no, that's not the case. These tax cuts went to the wealthy. Um, the middle class, by and large, has not felt them. And by the way, we have run up an enormous deficit because. Uh, they they cut these taxes and now we can't fund the government. So um, I thought she she hit in all the places that she needed to. But the the point now I want to get your opinion on this and this is where Kamala Harris really shined was the very first 20 minutes of that debate when it was all about the virus, all about the coronavirus. And I thought she did a great job of highlighting the fact that uh, Mike Pence is the head of the coronavirus task force and that the United States is lagging behind the rest of the world in its response to the coronavirus. And Mike Pence's only response, which I thought was really weak, was, well, we trust the American people to make the best decision. You know, we're not going to mandate anything. We're going to let them make the, the, their own choices. And, you know, the president makes his own choices. And if the president hasn't been wearing masks and, you know, if we didn't tell the truth, it's because we're trying to protect the country. Um, I thought he, he, you know, he he put on the strong guy face when he said that, but you could tell he was really, you know, under fire during that time because if there's something that he and the president has been particularly weak on in polling, it has been the coronavirus response. So um, I thought she did really, really well in that first segment there that focused on the pandemic. I like to watch uh, the debates and the pre-debates on C-SPAN because there's no frills. There's, you know, there's a little bit of commentary, but mostly it's just studio stuff until they're ready to go live. And then it just goes and, you know, and it can kind of get boring. I'll admit that, you know, waiting and there's not all the the network fanfare. But once she started and the first words out of her mouth were what an epic failure this administration was in its coronavirus response that's when I sat up straight. I was like, oh, here we go. She's she's ready. And yeah, and I knew that they would both be very prepared. I figured that this would be a more, um, I don't even really want to say civil, but uh, more along the lines of professional politicians. Yeah. I, no, I, I think that's, that's a fair assessment. Absolutely. 100%. Um, and I think Senator Harris, one of the things she did really well is outline the facts that we saw. So uh, one of the things that, that has happened, and let's, let's go ahead and make a little bit of a shift from the vice president to the president here, but she did bring up the fact that President Trump was in Walter Reed Hospital, um, received uh, some experimental kinds of treatments, apparently, for the, uh, for the coronavirus. Uh, it, from what we know even if he tests negative, which I think someone in the White House tried saying he was negative today, uh, you have to have negative tests for many days in a row, um, a week up to two weeks before you're considered clear and not contagious in any way. Left Walter Reed Hospital went for a little joyride. That was interesting, um, where all the, he had all these supporters and detractors, a lot of supporters out there outside of the hospital with signs, and decided he wanted to go on a little parade and, and wave at them from the car. So he gets Secret Service agents to take him out so he could, you know, ride around in this car and wave at everybody. And then the next day decides he's going to go back to the White House. And, of course, we all saw the great visual optic of him stepping up onto the balcony of the White House, removing his mask and then entering um, 
entering, I think it was the residence part, but from what we know, he's been back in the Oval Office. He is, uh, one of the things that Senator Harris said is, what are you doing there? What What is going on? You have an individual who you know is is infected, who has this virus, and has no particularly no particular interest in protecting others around him. I thought she did a great job of hitting that home. But also, you know, let's talk about that. What is going on with Trump? It's just, it's you know, it, it's this big, you know, chest pounding bravado. I defeated COVID on my own. I don't need the mask. You don't need to be afraid. The messaging coming out of the White House in the last week, Kelly, I think was overshadowed by the other things that were going on. But that is an important thing to talk about, which is the president's back in the White House. And every day we're getting new reports of people, including the press, uh, uh, the press secretary, press chief, um, becoming infected with, with coronavirus. That in and of itself is a microcosm of what happens when you uh, conduct yourself the way that this executive branch, this, this administration has in terms of their response to COVID. There's so much wrong with this from him, from the whole photo op thing to him going and ripping off his mask to that weird Hitler salute. I mean, it wasn't a Hitler salute. I mean, it was a, it was a military salute, but that's dictator stuff. You know what I mean? Like, isn't that what oh, that yeah. reminded you of? Did that, is that what, cause that's what it brought to mind with me. I mean, I, I, I was, I mean, I figured I'd seen it all, but now I'm just along for the ride. It was a strut. I mean, he was definitely posing in a way that was trying to convey like masculine power. I mean, that's, that's what it looked like to me. I'm the alpha dog. I beat, I beat COVID. I did this, this kind of thing. And to be very clear, uh, yeah, he's back home and he's not on oxygen anymore. It looks like he's on the mend, on the re- on the recovery. Keep in mind that the president got a round of medication that the vast majority of the public has no access to. So, you know, the danger there, Kelly, is I think he's saying to his supporters, don't worry if you get this, you'll be just fine. Look at me, I'm older, and I, I still came back from it. Most people don't get round-the-clock care at one of the most prestigious medical facilities in the world. And I thought that was... Uh, a very strange message to send out. Okay. So number one, um, they did um, a breakdown of what this treatment would actually cost a regular person like you or I, and it's over a hundred thousand dollars. And of course, you know, it's not going to be covered by your insurance. Um, And it's socialized medicine for him. So you're welcome from the taxpayers. And then, um, Here's one of the things that sticks with me, and and maybe you know because I don't. Is the sitting head of state going to a either volunteer or um, be coerced into being part of human uh, test trials for experimental drugs? Right, because and that's the other issue too. Is like. It's, you know, it, it, it's this message that we get from him consistently, which is we're speeding it up. You know, we don't need all these regulations. We just need to get going. We need a, a vaccine. Don't have to wait for it. All this. And, and you know, they tried to tried to nail Kamala Harris with that um, by saying that, oh, well, she's undermining confidence in a vaccine. No, she's not. What she's saying is she said very specifically in the debate, if mainstream science, the people who are 
the most responsible for this state. It's safe to take the vaccine. I will be the first in line to take it. But if it's only coming from the president and not in conjunction with scientists, then no, because the president is not a scientist. He is not on the front lines of the science. He is a policymaker. And she also did a great job of explaining that the administration has not done a great job of listening to science. And so Trump's like, yeah, we got miracles. They were calling it a cure at one point. Um, I saw Eric Trump. (laughs) (laughs) I'm sorry, I can't say his name. I know, right? Um, There's something about his name that just makes you want to giggle, doesn't it? Something about his face. So anyway, (laughs) you know, he comes out and he's like, well, the COVID vaccine is a cure. Like, that's not what a vaccine is. That's not what it does. And so anyway, you know, just this men's messaging and just not, um, just not really helpful. Nothing about this is helpful. So what does this all lead to? Okay, so I know Trump had COVID, tested positive. He says he's back. He feels like he's 20 years younger or something ridiculous. That Okay, wait. Uh, so he wants to debate. Right there. I'm sorry. I'm so sorry. I have to interrupt you because could that be the dexamethasone and these steroids that he's on? I mean, we don't know what they've given him. Yeah, no, it could be. You're absolutely right, because it's it's possible he's all hopped up on the steroids that do make you feel like, you know, it's kind of, it's an upper, (laughs) gives you a lot of energy. So, yeah, he probably feels very energetic. He's not out of the woods. He needs to get 10 days past his diagnosis, which he's getting close to now. But, again, the White House is real quiet, so we don't really know what's going on. Um, the president was supposed to travel today. They decided not to. So, I mean, here, here's the other thing, too. Um, overconfidence in health, I think, uh, maybe a, a deficit here. And while most people's health is their own business, it's a private affair, but, you know, when it comes to the president of the United States, that's not true. His health is important to the nation. We need to know what's going on. Mike Pence was supposed to go to Indiana yesterday to vote. Um, in his home state, he has decided to be in Washington, D.C. instead. And so a lot of eyes are on D.C. wondering what's going on. Why did Mike Pence all of a sudden decide not to uh, go to Indiana on a day when the president traveled, uh, to cancel his travel plans? We can only speculate. You know, maybe he's not feeling well. Um, we don't know. But the point is, is that the messaging that we're getting from the White House has been really uh, back and forth. So. Trump wants to debate in uh, wants to do the debate on the 15th, which is next week. He will not be two weeks past a negative test by then. So the this is not the Biden campaign. This was the debate commission got together and said it needs to be done virtually. If we do the debate, we'll do it in a Zoom kind of format where each candidate can take a turn talking, which that might actually be a better format, to be quite honest, because, you know, you're supposed to mute when you're on Zoom. Uh, and so it's, it's a town hall style. They can come up with some kind of, you know, way for um, regular, you know, average, everyday American voters to pose questions to the, the, the president and the vice president. Joe Biden's all on board. He said, yes, this is a safe way to do it. You know, um, barring plexiglass all around the president, this is the only way to do it. The president says, no, I want to delay the debate. He doesn't want the, – the, the thing that the, the president wants to avoid – uh, like, I want to say like the plague, that's probably a bad, uh, <laughs> Oh, he hasn't done make, that. <laughs> yeah. The thing the president wants to avoid is anything that makes him look weak. And I think agreeing to a virtual debate, he thinks conveys some kind of weakness, like he's believing more in the virus. And so, and you hear this, oh, well, you know, Biden, he's being 
uh, he's being weak. He wants to do it over Zoom. No, that's it's the debate commission decided this is not a safe thing to do. Um, and so we don't really know what's going to happen with the debate. Are we going to get a debate next week? Will it be virtual? Will it be delayed? Or are we going to have to wait for the very last debate scheduled, which is going to be two weeks away from now? So as of right now, we don't even know if a second debate is going to happen. Uh, I'm going to be honest with you, Kelly. I don't know why in the world the president wants to debate. If I were him, I would take this opportunity to say, yeah, it's probably a good idea. Let's let's act the second debate because his numbers began to plummet so much after that first debate. I can't imagine why he is in a hurry to get back on the debate stage with Biden. I think if anything, he wants should want Americans to forget about that fiasco and retool for the last debate. But Here's what we know about the president. He likes to do everything himself the way he wants to do it. And so this is the hill he's willing to die on today. He's just going to, you know, say, I'm, you know, I, we're going to debate in person or not do it at all. So honestly, I, I have no clue. I have no prediction as to whether the second debate is actually even going to happen. I think the real reason he doesn't want to do it virtually is because they have a mute button. Because he's not going to be able to interrupt, nor will he not be able to interrupt. He's not going to be in control of anything because there's going to be somebody behind the scenes that's his board op saying, up oh, mute. <laughs> I think yep. that's the real reason. I, I know that we're going to run over a little bit, but we have to talk about what happened to the Michigan governor real quick because... Yep. It is a really, really important thing to talk about. And we don't know what's going to happen um, next week, especially with all of this. I mean, Nancy Pelosi invoked art, uh, Article 25 of the Constitution. And oh, yeah. then this happened with uh, Gretchen Whitmer. So let's uh, let's take a few minutes and talk about Gretchen Whitmer. Yeah. So now any, in a normal news cycle week, this would have dominated. This would have been like a two week story. Um, six individuals have been arrested by the FBI, which, hey, way to go, FBI. They did it. Uh, they've been tracking six individuals and seven others who have been implicated. Um, part of a militia group out of Wisconsin. Uh, no, sorry, Michigan, um, the Wolverine something, I can't remember the name. Anyway, uh, they are a far right wing militia group who basically decided that the governor overstepped her bounds when she implemented mask mandates and decided that they wanted essentially to start a little coup d'etat. Uh, and their their big goal was to start a civil war, according to the FBI. So the FBI had been following these guys. They had planned to kidnap the governor as well as other state officials. And we know that they had in their possession, or at least plans, I can't remember if they already had it or they were in the, the process of getting materials to get some serious explosives. So these guys were not just talk, you know, it wasn't big talk. They were, they actually had plans underway and uh, the FBI intervened. I love the, 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 I saw the press conference they had, they were, you know, these big, bad FBI men and women coming out basically like, yep, we, we figured it out. And here's a message to anybody who's not, uh, excited about the political climate, you need, still need to be a peaceful citizen here in the United States. Um, they just swept in like some badasses. I thought it was great. Uh, but it's also scary to think that there were people who were actually going to kidnap a, a governor of one of the United States. Well, we have a governor that they can take. I'll gladly give him our governor. <laughs> but, you know, I think it really is alarming when you look at the history of Gretchen Whitmer in office and her clashes with Trump and how these guys, 
they've been plotting this for a long time. And the FBI just kind of watched them and infiltrated their group. And they've noticed them at the Capitol, you know, when they tried to storm the Capitol uh, earlier in the year. And so, I mean, shouldn't that raise more alarm bells? And especially since that Trump has not come out against this at all? Yeah, it, and and I think everything else has been taking up so much oxygen. He kind of got away with not having to, you know, account for some of the things. Like, you know, he, he did send out a text several months ago saying "liberate Michigan," which who knows what he meant? Who knows what he means when he tweets? I I don't know. Uh, anyways, it, it, there, it, that could have been interpreted by groups um, that you know kind of had that slogan going on. The ones that were trying to infiltrate the Capitol building with with guns and those kinds of things and. You know, we've seen a spike in militia activity, a lot of the right wing, you know, extremists. Um, although I, I, I will say that the FBI did a great job of identifying what I thought they were, which is domestic terrorists. Because if you look at the, the definition of terrorism, it's using violence or threat of violence for political means. Exactly what it was. Um, the fact that it was a bunch of white dudes, you know, from Michigan doesn't change the fact that the FBI has uh, carefully and correctly recognize this as an act of terror against the United States. You know, it's really interesting to um, to see how this is going to unfold for the next week. And I don't know if we're going to have a debate or not, but we're going to be glued to the TV, of course. Thank you so much for tuning in. Don't forget, if you've missed this conversation or any of our past episodes, all you got to do is catch up with those wherever you get your podcast. I'm Kelly J. Lewis with Dr. Chris Garneau. Thank you so much for tuning in for another episode from the Isle of Dr. Garneau. We'll catch you back here next week. Have a great day.